This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I started self-work four and a half years ago to reach those of you who might already be very interested in psychological phenomenon or emotional issues. Maybe you're already in therapy, looking into yourself and examining your life. To those of you who might just have been diagnosed with something and you're really curious and you need answers. To those of you also, however, who might never darken the door of a therapist, but you're just curious enough or unhappy enough to listen into self-work. So welcome to all of you on this Memorial Day. The story you're going to hear from this young woman I'm about to introduce you to is one you'll likely never forget. Danica Thomas was the wife of a career military guy, Alan Thomas, but his military career ended in a traumatic way, as did his life. And Danica, who married him and became a mom very early in her 20s, was faced with things she'd never imagined trying to handle or take in stride. Life has dealt her and her family a huge blow, as well as others. And she's dedicating her life to trying to improve the mental health services that returning soldiers receive from the VA. I was introduced to her by a mutual friend, and I knew immediately that I wanted her on self-work. You'll be moved, maybe angered, maybe shocked, and certainly saddened by her story. But you'll also hear her courage and determination to fight this fight, not only for her husband, But for all victims of tragedy, consequent to untreated or ignored mental illness by a VA system that's overwhelmed and understaffed. A little bit about her. Danica Thomas is a fierce activist for mental health treatment and expanded care for America's combat veterans. As a military wife turned caregiver turned widow, Danica is intimately acquainted with the challenges of life after war. She is now the chairman of the Susan M. Tillis Foundation. She's a national ambassador for Prevents and a key advisor for the Independence Fund. She and her two daughters live outside Charlotte, North Carolina. And I want to say to you that, again, her story will stick with you. Please, if you've had suicide in your family, if you've ever had those kinds of thoughts, please listen to this with caution, and I will have the suicide hotline in the show notes. Before we get to Danica Thomas's interview, I wanted to introduce you again to one of our sponsors, Athletic Greens. There's certainly a way that I think you can give a gift to yourself every morning, and especially important at times of great stress. So please listen in to an offer from Athletic Greens and from me. When Athletic Greens reached out to me, I of course said I'd need to try the product, and I was actually shocked. It tastes great with cold water, and I felt more focused. I've had better digestion and energy. Even my non-health-conscious husband is loving it. Let me give you some facts. They call it a life-changing nutritional habit. To me, it's like giving yourself a gift every morning. It contains 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, including probiotics and something called adaptogens. It fits all kinds of diets and has less than one gram of sugar, and it's easy. One scoop in the morning, and you can do away with so many of those other expensive supplements that you swallow every night. And because I said a fervent yes to their sponsorship, you can visit athleticgreens.com slash self 
and along with the product, you'll receive a free year supply of vitamin D3, and most of us are deficient, and K2 in one tiny drop, as well as five convenient travel packs. Again, go to athleticgreens.com slash self-work and experience it yourself. You know, I always focus on what you can do about it, and Athletic Greens fits the bill. So without further ado, here's Danica Thomas. Danica, I'm so glad to see you again. You and I met through Trisha Frigo several months ago because she really wanted me to hear your story and consider having it on self-work. And there was no question in my mind once I heard you speak that I wanted you here. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much um, for having me. And it's such a pleasure being able to talk to you and unpack a lot of the things that I had gone through with my husband and and since. Um, I'm just honored to be here to speak with you. Well, I think the honor is ours, actually, Danica. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Listeners will feel the same way after they hear a lot of the tragedy that you've experienced in your life and what you've done with it. Why don't you just tell your story using the words you said to me initially. It's so incredibly moving and sad and poignant and inspirational all at the same time. Okay. Well, um, I am first and foremost a mom. (laughs) Um, I was a caregiver to a wounded veteran, and now I am a widow. I met my husband right before he was going to set to deploy for his third combat tour to Afghanistan. And I was just smitten by him. Um, He stood so tall and he just had this safety aura on our first date. I had like one or two bald tires and um, one of them blew on the highway while I was with him. And he dropped me off at work and went and got brand new tires put on my car um, because he said, Whether we worked or not, he didn't want me. I was young. I was 20. He didn't want me to be driving around town on bald tires. So um, it kind of shows like his character before he deployed. He was just very caring and loving and um, always just positive and optimistic about life. And he had goals and dreams. And they were always like as big as his um, ego He was just the military was his career or did he have another one? The military was his career. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He he wanted to be in forever. He loved his country. He loved his brothers. He loved the fight Um, so much as though, like, I, I believe till his last breath, he was stuck in the fight. And, um, you know, as as much as he loved his country and the fight, he was broken when he lost it. Um, He deployed in September of 2009 to Afghanistan. Um, We got the first call in December that there was a KIA and a wounded, um, uh, wounded veteran coming home to Walter Reed. Um, And both men were in his squad. So from you know, that moment on, I kind of prepared myself for bad, but I never imagined the life that was going to be in front of me. So, um, so that was December. He came home on R and R shortly after. And so the KIA, the, the first 
time his squad got hit was December, late December. Okay, so home. KIA, KIA, a lot of people listening are not military people. So can you explain what that is? Okay, so uh, killed in action. So um, his squad came across an IED and it blew up and it tore off one of his guy's legs and killed another guy. And he took it very hard. Um, Those were his guys, you know, that was his squad. And it wasn't pretty. There was a lot of loss there. And I think he took it on like... I mean, those were his brothers. That was those were his guys. He he took it very hard, and like it was a personal failure on his part. R- right, right. Um, you know, like the survivor's guilt that was real. You know, but he always held his he- head high. Um, of course, there was a lot of consoling. But what do you say to somebody that that's trying to make sense of of what happened? And what do you say to somebody that is so like I call him my barrel chested freedom fighter. He was so like, I got to get back. I got to, I got to make it right. I have to keep working. Um, his head was in the mission and I knew that. Um, so when I didn't get phone calls from Afghanistan and I didn't get usual communication, I just chalked it up to his head was in the mission. He can't be bothered with back home. Um, so how did you handle that? Because Doc Springer talks a lot about how families have to handle knowing that their spouses, their partners, their brothers or sisters, whomever, they have to realize that the soldiers, the warriors are their tribe now, the people they are fighting with. And it's a different tribe than your family tribe. So how did you handle that? Well, I mean, I would be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed that other people were getting calls and I was not. And it was sad to me because I spent so much time with him before he left that it was, it's hard to spend so much time with somebody and then them like leave and you not be able to communicate. You can't pick up the phone and call. So, um, but I think I was just kind of trained by being around military and, and my brother-in-law served and deployed several times and my sister was at home. And so I think I just, knew that their mentality is your mind's in the mission. So you tried um, not to take it personally. You you thought right. about this as, as the mission. This is about his career. This is not about how he feels about me. Right, right. And yeah, so I kind of just rolled with the punches. And then he, he st- was here for two weeks. We had the two weeks together. And then he, he went back to Afghanistan. And again, the communication was sparse. Um they were not in a good area and you just kind of think like no news is good news. Um, and then at, at some point I started to take it personally. And at that point I'm like, gosh, I'm really emotional. What's going on. Um, I find out I'm pregnant. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, with our first daughter. So um, I kind of like sent him a message. I said, you really need to call me. He calls I tell him I'm pregnant and he was over the moon. He was so happy. Um, you know, he's like, I'm going to be a dad. It's going to be great. And it, it gave me positivity and it gave me a sense of like, okay, life's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. He's going to come home. Everything's going to be great. And we get to start this new life because he was so career driven that he wanted to, you know, take other duty stations and, 
I don't know what that meant for us. We were we were not married at the time, so I, I don't really know. I didn't know where that was going to guide us. And then I get pregnant, and I'm like, okay, we're we're a fam. We're going to be a family. Like this is our unit. So there's a bond. There was a normalizing bond there. Yeah, yeah. And to see him happy and optimistic, and I could just hear it in his voice that he was going to come home and, you know, like he was happy to start a family with me. So it was really wonderful. And I cling on to those moments so much um, because it just reminds me that once upon a time we had the vision of a happy family. You know, Danica, I realized that I have not asked you his name. Oh. So his name was Alan Thomas. Um, He was an 82nd Airborne Paratrooper, an infantryman. um, And it was his absolute joy to serve. He he loved it. Um, He loved all of it. He loved jumping out of the airplanes. He was a jump master. Um, That was a huge, proud title for him. So he had all of these things that like, made him built him up to be this this incredible like power and um so i find out february 15th that i'm pregnant and march 16th i get uh, a phone call and i was uh it was my mom she she called me and she said i I really want you to come to the hospital i want to talk to you she she works at the hospital and i get there and um she tells me that she got a call from his mother and he was um, in a coma. He was severely injured and they were telling his family to get their passports ready to, to go join him. Um, If he didn't die, that they would need to assist him and and help make decisions. Um, So, and, and, and now they called her and, she wanted me to not be alone when I found out the news because that was his like immediate, you know, on the, all the paperwork we call it the I love me book. She's his call. So I will forever say that call or that, that moment, I'm sorry, that moment that, that I was told that um, he may not make it. It, it like snatched my soul. Like it, it took everything from me. Um, I was so scared and I didn't know what was going to happen and nobody could ever prepare you for that. Of course not. You know, you, you send them off and you think they're going to come home alive or dead and nobody prepares you for like, they're going to come home and not be the same. Um, There's going to be a lot of challenges. So ultimately they were able to stabilize him. Um, he, we had heard that he flatlined multiple times in air. Um, they stabilized him, did emergency surgery, put in four chest tubes for breathing. Um, the, the, the brunt of a a suicide bombers vest, they were packed full of quarter inch ball bearings and it, it went all the way through his chest and he was not, he was not a small man. So he was six, four and a piece of metal went, literally through his chest all the way leaving burns down his back so that's like that's how how strong the impact was and so right away I stop everything pack my bags I call his mom and I'm like I'll be staying with you are you ready to have me because 
Walter Reed, the old Walter Reed in, in Washington, D.C., was a few miles from his childhood home. So his parents still lived there. Um, so I was like, I'm coming. Be ready. Um, because I wanted to be at his side every step of the way. I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't want to have him feel alone. And so there I was at Walter Reed and I walked into his room and I felt like this man that I looked up to as a leader in, in so many ways. And he, you know, I, I thought he was going to lead my family. I thought he was going to be that force and that, that drive behind our, our family. I grew up very old school in a Serbian family. So like the, the male is, is the dominant figure. And, and so it changed a lot of things for me because at 21, I had to now be a caregiver to a man that I looked at so powerful and I didn't know how I was going to do it. Um, and I'm, I was pregnant. And so it was very challenging. Um, and like I said, nobody could ever prepare you for it because everybody's injury is different. Everybody's traumatic brain injury is different. And I, I didn't add that um, he also suffered a severe brain injury. So I really didn't know what to expect. And recovering in some ways, I could still see that little spark in him. Um, he wanted to get back to the mission. He he wanted so badly to jump right up and, and be okay. And, um, you know, there were times they tried to take chest tubes out. He, he couldn't handle it. His body couldn't handle it. Um, he needed help breathing. Um, so they would have to be put back in and it was a process and he would have to do, you know, occupational therapy and just stimulation to the brain. And it, it, it was challenging for him, especially, um, how was his personality changed? Would you say? I would say he he was confused. He was mild compared to him pre-deployment. He, I could see in him, it's like a little child that like on Christmas, like I could see like there was still a spark sometimes. And I mean like little child being that like, I could see the decline. I could see that he, he didn't have that. Um, I would hate to say like adult drive, but like he was just, he was, he was confused. He, he, <sighs> He wasn't himself. He couldn't make connections quickly. It took him maybe longer to think through things or even understand something. Would you say that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, when it came to his brothers, though, it was always, I need to go back. I need to get back with them. Um, Bravo Company 2508 was so hard hit that every Friday a medevac comes into Walter Reed to bring wounded veterans or wounded soldiers. Um Every Friday, there was another Bravo Company guy. They su uh, suffered several casualties, and he wanted so badly, once they came in, to be, like, the welcoming committee, and he, he couldn't. And I'll kind of, like, side story. Uh, my best friend, Sarah Verado, we worked together in, in, in this space. Her husband was brought in, Michael Verado, um, on death imminent status. And 
my husband essentially crawled down the hall to meet his medevac. Wow. You know, doctors didn't want him to leave his room, but he he needed to have eyes on everybody. He needed to have eyes on all of his guys. And and though Michael was not in his squad, he he was still his brother. And my husband was so determined to keep that brotherhood that, you know, if if Michael was going to die, he was going to die next to one of his brothers. And and nobody can understand you like your brother. Um, nobody understands except for those who you went through that hell with. Um, so how long did it actually take him to get enough strength to go home? Well, we were at Walter Reed for, I would say, about seven months, um, inpatient for a while. Then we went out, not outpatient, but we stayed on grounds. Um, and they trans- they ended up transferring him to the Warrior Transition Battalion at Fort Bragg. And it's essentially a unit that helps you transition your way out of the military when you have been severely injured. Um, and, you know, in that process at Walter Reed, he was told that he could never go back to the fight, um, that he, he would never be able to be the person in the military that he was. And it crushed him. Um, it made him evaluate everything about himself and, and being that he signed up for the military and he knew what he was signing up for, you know, that there's always, I think, I think for them, they always know their, their friends have been injured. Their friends have been killed. Um, and so I think he probably was never quite prepared for the the injury that he had, but in some sense, like he knew the risk he was taking. Um, but when they told him he was never going to go back to the fight, I mean, it, it tore him apart and he didn't know how to make sense of, of anything. How was he going to be a civilian? How was he going to provide for his family? How, how was he going to be the dad that his father was to him? And I think it just, it took so much out of him. He knew the risks. He knew the risk of losing his brothers, but he didn't know how to make sense of losing himself. And it just, it wore on him. And, you know, that mixed with being put into a unit that doesn't understand him because everybody comes from different parts of the military and the cadre is different than you know, the guys that are in the unit. And, you know, when you're, when you're in a a unit, like when you're in a company like Bravo company, everybody's infantrymen or everybody has been to combat. Everybody understands each other. Um, They can talk about things that other people don't understand. And so, you know, for transitioning, being stuck in, in a different type of environment. And then with, the medical care being a hit or miss trial and error, what worked in the army with the doctors maybe didn't work, you know, maybe the VA didn't accept that type of care or just transitioning into the VA at that time was very difficult. And um, I will say like, I don't think anybody was prepared for the amount of casualties that were going to be brought home and the, um, 
you know, amount of, of work that needed to be done to provide the care for these, for these veterans. So during this time, you also had your daughter. I did. I did. I missed that part. I did. Um, so my, my daughter was born in October of 2010. Um, and it, it was an, absolute joy. Um, it brought so much happiness to our family, um, that was struggling really hard. She brought me back in some ways, you know, she brought my worth and sense back. Um, because through the transition of, of Alan getting out and finding himself, there was struggles. There was a lot of struggles and, I didn't know how to be a caregiver to, you know, at 21, I didn't know how to be a a mom. You know, you jump into these roles and you don't have a handbook and you don't know what to do. And so you find it, you find what works. You had to dig really, really deep. Yeah. You find what works and you struggle through what's not working. And so, I mean, as much joy as she brought us and I mean, still does to this day, um, we still had a big, big, big thing to fix. And that was how to make things okay again. And looking back, I believe it's probably naive for me to think that one day everything would be okay. Because when you're living through it, you're so deep, like, uh, you know, into it that you can't see outside that maybe you have to adjust to this and it's the way it's going to be forever. Um, but you hope you hold on to hope that things are going to be okay. And I'm, I watched my civilian friends, you know, have families and, and get married and have babies and their lives look like, you know, a fairy tale. And not that I ever expected a fairy tale, but mine looked a lot different. And I was young and I was, I was trying to really just find myself again. So, he ends up medically retiring and, uh, you know, brought into the VA system. And there was a lot of transition in our lives. We moved because we thought that it would be the best thing for our family. Oh, and I find out I'm pregnant again. <laughs> so um, my daughters were born a little over uh, two years apart, two and a half years apart. Um, and that's essentially how long it took for him to transition out. But in um, August of 2012, he finally medically retired. We moved to Virginia and started to get, you know, into the VA care there. It was still hit or miss. Um, The records didn't really sync. So, like I said, what worked in the Army, maybe the VA doesn't do or can't do. It must have been terribly frustrating. At one point, he was really getting off of the medications because... We were trying different approaches. He really, really liked the um, therapist he was seeing. It was a teleconference through the military. Um, he he couldn't see that that um, therapist any longer, and so I think like I think that um, pain management. Um, he was doing you know he was going to the chiropractor for back his back um, pain. It was not provided to him through the VA. And so it just, it was, it was so much change, um, you know, on a weekly, monthly basis that it was hard to grasp 
what actually worked. And so I don't want to rush you, Danica, but I'm yeah. also aware that we're only halfway through your story oh. and I want to hear the rest of it. Obviously, the disappointment in the VA was very, very strong. Okay. Okay. I'll kind of uh, get back. Um, so we moved back to Fayetteville, North Carolina, because I, I felt like it was the best move for our family to get him into a system that worked at the VA. And um, there was a lot of identity crisis going on with him. He wanted to move. He wanted to, he was in a band at one point. He, he, he was just trying to cling on to anything that would hurt. Who am I? Who am I? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of different, different Allens. And um, in September of 2013, he went to the VA emergency room um, in mental health crisis and they didn't have the space of, available to keep him. And um, he was sent home with medication and they told us that they would call when they had space available to see him. Um, I put him on a wait list and days later he, uh, he left our house. Um, and I'm sorry. Um, he left our house and that was the last time I ever saw him. Um, he had what clinicians later described as a psychotic break. And he ended up um, taking the lives of two of our neighbors and their dog. Um, and you said when I talked to you before that you firmly believe that he thought he was defending those people, or maybe he thought they were the enemy. But something in his mind told told him there was danger, and he was fixing it. Later, we had heard that he um, came out of the home and said, "The house is clear." Um, like he cleared. Wait, what did he say? The house is clear. Like he, like he cleared a home. Um, the house is clear. So he was in military mode, basically. Yeah. My husband died a villain, and that's not, that's not who he was. And there are two victims of the casualty that, that came home with him. And two families that their pain is probably 10 times greater than mine because they're left without the why. I can, I can, I can say that my husband had a brain injury. I can say that I'm learning how the brain works. I can say almost eight years later that I'm, I'm, I've tried to make sense of it. How do you make sense of something so incredibly senseless? Yeah, I don't. I don't have the answer to that question, obviously, Danica, but also given the fact that I've been a psychologist for 30 years now, I've heard a lot about senseless acts of violence, senseless death, and it, it, it takes time. But there's no why. There's simply, it is. I heard someone speak about grief just last week, and she talked about you don't move on with grief, you move forward. And that's especially what has to happen with this kind of senseless, senseless tragedy. For people who don't know what a brief psychotic episode is, it's a time when you perhaps have had no psychosis before, but for an hour or for three hours or for two days, you see things that aren't really there. You hear voices that aren't there. It can be caused by certain mental illnesses. It can be caused by brain injury, by stress. It can be caused by medications can be caused by a lot of things. So 
they weren't saying that your husband was psychotic all the time, but he had what's again termed a brief psychotic episode and he was not in his right mind. Right. And, and there were a few times where I saw it and I was able to deescalate it. Um, and I was able to kind of, you know, snap him out of it. This night I heard him pick up the gun and I ran after him and never thinking about um, what he could do um, and certainly never thinking about what he did do. I ran after him and I screamed after him and he didn't even turn around and look at me. You weren't there. Like it was. He was in his head somewhere. He was in a different reality. Yeah. Um, How did the community handle it, Danica? Um, I think, I think more than I ever expected, people, um, were able to, um, I, I, I won't even say understand because nobody can understand something like this. Um, but I think that people were able to just, you know, look at it like, why wasn't he getting help? Why, why, why didn't he get the help he needed? Um, he was a, you know, medically retired, wounded veteran that had, you know, a high disability rating and he wasn't getting the help that he needed. And, you know, you can look at it many ways. You could look at it, you know, and, and blame the administration or the, um, the system that reassured us he would be taken care of as, you know, all the other veterans, you could look at it. Like, was he going to get help? Certainly he was trying to get help. Absolutely. He was trying to get help. And so, you know, it was my job to say he tried, he, he was not too proud to ask for help. Trust me. He was not. And I think in some way, because it was a military community, people could almost familiarize with that. So they were able to project themselves into that situation. Right. Perhaps much better than a a civilian community could, right? right? But, you know, at the end of the day, my husband signed up for the fight. These innocent people did not. And... um you know, I I feel like I will always feel so guilty because if I would have known to advocate more or if I would have done something different, I could have saved those lives. And I understand that thinking. I cannot tell you how many people I've treated that think there's that if they just find that one domino that they could pick up, yeah. that they could have stopped everything else from happening. That did happen. And yet... The truth is that you really don't know what would have happened if you'd picked up that domino. You don't really know the direction that things would have gone. Maybe you could have prevented it from happening that night. I'm not trying to put a Band-Aid on it, but... I know. I know. I guess this is the definition of senseless tragedy. Senseless for him, senseless for you, and senseless for those people. And it just kind of sits there and it's devastating to anyone who's touched by it. You whoever loved those neighbors and their families and friends. And yet sometimes something like this happens and there's just no explanation. 
So, I know because we talked before that you have turned your grief and your own tragedy, your own loss of him, because he died by his own hand as well that day. So, tell us what you have done in the interim since his death, since the death of your neighbors, to try to advocate in a way where you're using your voice very, very, very powerfully. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, everybody's grief looks different, and mine took a long time for me to really find how I was going to get out of this. And I don't mean get out of the situation. I mean, get out of my perpetual cycle of sadness. Um, I felt like when he died, I took on the strength that he had, but I never really like imagined how I was going to use that strength. And we had um, buried another Bravo company guy who also died by suicide. And um, my best friend, Sarah called me and, you know, she's like, I, I have, I have the, I have the idea. And she called another good friend of ours, Dr. Keita Franklin. And they put together this, this mission to prevent suicide. And so with, with that being launched, um, it was, the perfect opportunity for me to make right of what was so wrong. And I owe it to my children. I owe it to the family of these people that my husband, that my husband killed um, to work hard, work as hard as I can to make sure this never happens again. And so with the help of, of so many great people in the community, I have started to do um, suicide prevention, peer-to-peer support, um, public speaking on behalf of suicide prevention. I'm trying to share my husband's story, not because it is anything that is even remotely good to talk about, but it is something that sharing could bring light, could bring awareness to the situation it can bring um you know awareness to veterans don't 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 do what he did my husband what he did in his final moments it will never define who he was as a soldier it 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 doesn't even define who me and my children are but it urges me to do better it urges all of our veterans to do better those who are suffering through mental health crisis you know, I just, I want to take my husband's death and, and the innocent people. And I want to make sure it never happens again. And so I really have just dove, you know, straight into that. And I've been doing that and I love it. And I served as an ambassador for prevents, which was the president's initiative to empower veterans and end a national crisis of, of veteran suicide. And um, I've gotten the pleasure of, of, you know, speaking with uh, Dr. Springer multiple times. Yes, her interview was last Friday, and she was just outstanding. I can understand that she's probably been extremely helpful. She's helped me a lot with trying to understand the brain. Um, and I also am the board chair of a foundation that that serves military families. And we owe our military families, our service members, our uh, veterans a debt that can never be repaid. They, they sign 
a blank check. And if I can do anything to assist or save one life, I will, I will feel like I have accomplished something. So Danica, as I sit and listen to you, I mean, I could ask you so many more questions, but what I'm watching is you reopen a wound that obviously is, was very, very unwelcome, horrific, and yet you risk your vulnerability here at self-work. And when we put this on YouTube or for anyone who listens to this or watches you, that you risk showing your own bleeding from your own wound and your husband's, Alan's, and your neighbor's so that we can understand the seriousness of this need. I felt it when I first met you, and I'm feeling it now, and I cannot be grateful enough to you. So, is there anything else coming up that you'd like for the self-work listeners to know about? Well, I mean, I, I love talking about the work that we're doing through the Independence Fund for Operation Resiliency, which is our suicide prevention program. And we're we're getting ready to have another retreat. And, um, you know, I, I want people to be aware and, and optimistic that when you put these heavy combat teams back together for peer to peer support and being able to unpack the baggage of what they survived together, miracles happen. And, and there are people that, that didn't realize how many, you know, of the guys are struggling and they're struggling together. And when you get separated from service, you don't have to be separated from your brothers. And so making sure that we bond that brotherhood again and have them say, and I only say brothers because so far we've, we've had, um, you know, male retreats um, just because of the, the selection, but absolutely. And sisters too, those who serve in combat together, brothers and sisters, the there's nobody that understands you like that. And so being able to have, you know, them back in your life, like lives, it, it can, it can change everything. And so we're, we're seeing incredible work come out of it. And we're seeing people that are very optimistic about care and about their future again. Well, not only what you said today, but how you said it has been so incredible. Thank you. I'm so glad I got to talk with you. And uh, I just thank you. I'm so honored. Thank you. Well, I think we're the ones again that are honored. And you've talked about this not just eloquently, but with tenderness and openness. And that's a lot harder to do than people realize. So thank you, Danica. Danica obviously opened up her soul to us here on Self Work today, and I so, so appreciate it. I hope it has made your Memorial Day weekend even more special, especially, obviously, if you have loved ones in the military or you've grown up in a military family. But even we civilians need to hear this information and do what we need to do to help our government change and improve its Veterans Administration system. I want to remind you that I did a course on depression, and you can link to it at Himalaya.com slash depression. And with the promo code OVERCOMING, you can get two weeks of free downloads and all kinds of interesting talks. And there's so many speakers on Himalaya. It's incredible in really all different arenas. So check it out. As always, thank you for being here at Self Work. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, 
And this has been Self Work.